1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick
0: you
2: You might go through a stumble, but you're going to be okay When you turn back, I want you to go strengthen your brothers But notice Jesus says Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan must get permission from God before he were to afflict harm on people. Now, that isn't to say that he, he's not going to harass you. He will. It's not to say he won't tempt you. He will, all right? The spiritual forces of evil are real in this, in the spirit realm, and the unseen realm. But in terms of harming you, of laying a hand on you, that has to go by the desk of God first. This is
1: Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Job. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Job, he'll be reminding us that God works all things for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. In our text today, Satan has to go before God and ask permission to bring about suffering in Job's life. This isn't just true in the Old Testament. This concept is also seen in the New Testament when Jesus said Satan asked to sift Peter like wheat. We can take heart in knowing that God is ultimately in control of our lives and the world around us. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Job chapter 1, part 2 of today's message titled, Satan and Suffering.
2: The scripture teaches that he was created as one of the highest rank, if not the highest ranking in the order of angels. The Bible even describes that his angelic being, that his frame was comprised of, included precious gems that just kind of decorated his very being. So much so that Isaiah says that on account of his beauty, pride filled his heart and he rebelled against God. And Revelation 12 says that when he rebelled against God, he took a third of the angels with him in this attempted coup against God. It wasn't that Satan simply envied God, it was that Satan wanted to be God, had a desire to be God himself... Pride fills his heart. It's the first sin of the universe. Adam and Eve was not the first sin of the universe. The rebellion of Satan in heaven was the first sin of the universe. And when Satan rebelled against God, God kicked him out of heaven. Jesus even said in Luke ten eighteen, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And when God kicked Satan out of heaven, along with a third of the angels who rebelled with him, which is an innumerable amount, we don't know how many that represents. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, who knows? But those fallen angels now became known today as demons. And Satan is leading a parade of demons, and earth is his playground. He is kicked out of heaven, comes to earth, and then he deceives Adam and Eve with the same pride that entered Satan's heart. That you can be better than you are, and you can achieve greatness, and so take and eat of the fruit, the fruit that God had said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of it, you shall surely die in that day, meaning the dying process begins. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God because they literally took the bait that Satan offered, and pride and arrogance and rebellion filled their hearts, the human race became tainted. And therefore, then, as descendants of Adam and Eve, our human race has now been tainted. All of us are born into sin. The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. We have inherited a sinful nature because of the initial rebellion that was of our forefathers. And it was transferred by the seed of man into every human heart. We are deceived and wicked. And the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Okay, and this is the reason why God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us, was to redeem us from our wickedness and our sinfulness, that we might be forgiven and go to heaven when we die. All right, now in three minutes, I just took you through 2,000 years of human history. But that's what happened, okay? And Satan is kicked out of heaven, he's expelled from heaven, and earth becomes his playground, that he is on a mission to destroy every single one of us. He hates us, and he doesn't want any good for us, he is only intent on coming to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his main mission. He wants as many people to go to hell with him. Okay? He has been disarmed by the cross, but not defeated. Defeat for Satan is when he is eventually thrown into the lake of fire. For now, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he has his target set on Job. Satan appears before God, and God engages him in this dialogue. This is only the second time in the Bible that we hear Satan speak. The first time was in the garden when he deceived Adam and Eve. And what we learned, though, from this interaction here is that, for those of you who like to take notes, is that Satan has limited access to God in heaven, but he cannot present himself without permission from God. So even though he was expelled from heaven, he has some limited access. We see it happening right here in Job chapter 1. And in in this scene here, when he's presenting himself to God, God basically says to him, where have you been? What have you been up to? And Satan answers in verse 7, the last part of verse 7, he says, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Meaning, he says, I've been looking for someone to harm. I mean, that's his main ambition. And God says in verse 8, have you considered my servant Job? Now, this is where this gets difficult here, because it looks almost like God is throwing Job under the bus. Have you considered my, you you want somebody to harm? Have you considered my servant Job? Now, you know, when you read this and you get the understanding of what transpires here, when God gives Satan permission, some limited permission, to actually attack Job, it does make you pause and say to yourself, Dear Jesus, please don't give Satan my address. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Because that's what's happening here. And, And lest we misunderstand what is going on, I don't want you to think that God is throwing Job under the bus. Here's what is really happening. And again, we need the broad view of the book of Job. So here it is. There is suffering in this world. There is heartache. There are tragedies and trials and difficulties that people go through. Some unimaginable. All right? What is happening here is that God has selected a man of incredible character and integrity whom God knows will pull through this eventually because of God's help who will then end up serving to be an example for all of us who will follow Job, who go through terrible times of suffering. Because in the midst of his suffering, Job never loses his integrity. He never blames God. He never gets angry. He is a remarkable man who, in the face of horrible suffering, still clings to God. And he serves as an example to all of us who in our lifetime may experience some suffering ourselves. That's the reason this book is included in the Bible. It's for our benefit. It's to say, here, this is how God saw a man through the realities of suffering of life. In fact, James, when he would write his epistle, uses Job, mentions Job as that very example. In, jo- in James chapter 5, verse 10, he said, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So it's not that God is throwing Job under the bus. What he's saying is, I'm choosing a man of complete integrity here because he will serve as an inspiration to people who will follow in the years and millennium to come, who will also go through suffering so that they might take heart from the example of Job. That's the reason why he is included to us. Now, back in the story here, so Satan presents himself, and God says again in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan basically responds by saying this, God, the only reason why Job is such a really swell guy is because you've been blessing him all his life. And if you'd stop blessing him and being so good to him, The moment he loses everything in his life because you take your hand away from him and the hedge of protection off of him, he'll curse you to your face, God. God's unmoved by it, all right? He's not moved. He's not persuaded by it. And so um, what we also learn from this interaction here, second point, is that Satan has limited access to people on earth. He cannot harm someone without permission from God. You need not worry that Satan is going to harm you or your kids or take away all your stuff because Satan has limited access to people and he cannot harm you without first getting permission from God. Jesus substantiates this also in Luke 22. Remember the scene at the Last Supper when he's still gathered with his disciples there before he goes to the cross. And Jesus leans over the table and he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked To sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Notice what Jesus says? He says, Jesus says, Simon, Satan's after you, okay? But I have prayed for you, all right? You might go through a stumble, but you're going to be okay. When you turn back, I want you to go strengthen your brothers. But notice Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat satan must get permission from god before he were to afflict harm on people now that isn't to say that he's not going to harass you he will it's not to say he won't tempt you he will all right the spiritual forces of evil are real in this in the spirit realm and the unseen realm but in terms of harming you of laying a hand on you that has to go by the desk of god first and by the way don't read this story and think that god is in the habit of doing this where he just, you know, every so once in a while gives out a name or two so Satan can have his way. All right, this book is not to be a pattern of the way things happen. It is to be a word of encouragement about a unique thing that happened so that we can face suffering with the same integrity and character that Job did. But the veil's being pulled back here so that we can understand what is transpiring here in in this whole scene. And when Satan is given permission, limited as it is, at first... God says, okay, you can have access to him, but don't touch his person. For the moment, do not touch him as a person. Satan wreaks havoc in this man's life. He first goes after all his possessions. All his livestock dies. Either either because they're killed or they are uh, taken away by marauders. Okay, Gone. It, It would be like experiencing a complete financial breakdown. And everything you had, everything you owned, gone. His servants are killed also. So all all of his employees gone. His business is completely collapsed. And worse than all that, the home that his 10 children were having dinner in collapsed and all 10 kids died. Now, thankfully, I have not experienced the death of a child. But I know some of you have. And I've done enough funerals for parents who have had to bury kids. That this much I know, without trying to say that I know their pain, this much I know, looking into the eyes of parents who have had to bury kids, I think it's probably got to be one of the most painful things on earth is for a parent to have to bury a child. Job has to bury ten. All ten of his kids. He's lost everything. Almost everything. He still has his wife, which shows, she shows up in chapter 2. We'll get to her next week. She is a sweetheart. <laughs> But that's for next week. I want you to notice the way chapter 1 ends. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's the way chapter 1 ends. Everything's happened. In all this, Job didn't blame God. He didn't get mad at God. He didn't charge God with doing something wrong. In fact, even, even more incredible, verse 20 says that he falls down on his face and worshiped. Now, don't misunderstand this would be a twisted view of worship if you think that he's actually thanking God that his kids have died and he's lost everything. That's, that's, not, that's not the worship here. The worship is the worship of God who he is trusting in and leaning on because he doesn't understand all the stuff that has happened. When you try to make sense of stuff that can't be made sense of, you're going to just torment yourself. There are some things, this side of heaven, that we're just going to have to recognize, this doesn't make sense. Right? Now, we, again, have the bird's eye view of this story. We know and understand what's happening, okay? As tragic as it is, we have a different perspective. Job has no clue why all this has happened. But in the midst of his pain, his suffering, his sorrow, and his grief, you know what he does? He's, he's going to say, I'm going to still worship the Lord because God is on the throne, and I don't know who else to trust and where else to go. It's the Romans 28, eight twenty-eight. It's Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to His purpose. I'm going to cling to that verse. I'm going to cling to God. I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. And that's okay to say. But in the midst of it, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to cling to Him. I'm going to, I'm going to praise Him. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not thankful for what's happened. I don't rejoice in what's happened. I don't understand what's happened. But I'm going to look to God, and I'm going to hope in Him. That's what He does. A remarkable example. Now, with all this in mind... There are three sources of suffering in our lives. The first one is what we've been talking about, Satan. And I want to make this clear, that even though Satan was the source of Job's suffering, because we can see it in this story, it's important to understand that Satan is probably not the source of your suffering, at least not directly. And I say that because, remember, Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be in all places at at the same time, all right? And there are almost 8 billion people on the planet so if Satan has to ask permission from God before he can harm a person, I don't know that he's actually giving up your name or my name, all right? I think, honestly, there's probably greater fish to fry. He's probably going after the Franklin Grahams of the world and other people who have some more you know, universal um, um, uh, ministry of, of, of that kind, and, and Satan probably you know goes after the bigger fish, if you will. I'm not sure that he's actually giving up our name. That said... Um, it is given us here in chapter 1, this example, and so he can be the source of some people's suffering, one at a time. But again, I don't think God is in the habit of doing it. This book is not to show us a pattern as much as it is to show us how to persevere. So what is more likely the source of our suffering? Two more. The second one is a fallen world. If Satan is not directly responsible for your suffering, he surely is indirectly responsible for it. Because 1 John 5, 19 says that we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Again, when God kicked Satan out of heaven and he gave him earth as a playground, now this is under his dominion. It might be limited, but it is still under his dominion. And Satan will do what he can to torment, and he will do what he can to harass, and he will do what he can to tempt. Although his freedom is limited, he still is at work. And he is at work to wreak havoc on the earth. And when mankind sinned, and the human race became tainted, we now live in in a world that is stained by sin. It is corrupted with evil. You have to look no further than the latest headline on your phone to recognize that our world is corrupt and evil and wicked. It is the result of the fall of man and the influence of sinful humanity in our world. Therefore, some of the things that happen in this world may not be your fault. It's just the result of living in a fallen world. And some of you need to hear this because some of you have unnecessarily carried around guilt or some kind of wrong view of God because you think that what has happened in your life must be that God is punishing you, or it is somehow your fault. And friends, I just want you to know sometimes it's just tragically because we live in a fallen world, and disease is the result of a fallen world, and death is the result of a fallen world, and heartache, and murder, and rape, and betrayal, and lying, and all this kind of stuff. Some of you have been unnecessarily torturing yourselves, thinking that. God is actually punishing you, and that's the reason why you're suffering, and that's the reason why that divorce happened, and that's the reason why your child died, and that's the reason why you got that diagnosis from the doctor. Friends, stop and recognize that sometimes the tragedies of this world are simply and horribly related to the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world. Okay? Sometimes no fault of your own. I heard a story about Sir Robert Watson Watt. I didn't know who the guy was, but apparently he invented the the speed radar to trap speeders. Okay, and one time in driving in Canada, Sir Robert Watson Watt was pulled over by a cop using radar. He got arrested with his own invention, and he wrote a little poem about it one day. And he said, "Quote: and He was from Scotland, so I'll, I'll try to do my best." But he. He says, Pity Sir Robert Watson watt strange target of his radar plot, and thus without others, with others I could mention, a victim of his own invention. Quote. And in some sense, really, we are victims of our own invention. That sinful humanity has you know corrupted this world and now as a result of the suffering and the trials that we go through are sometimes related to living simply in a fallen world. Jesus said in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is a certain amount of suffering and trials and difficulties and tribulation that we need to realize will happen in our lives simply because we live here. Now, you might be asking... Well, then, you know, why doesn't God do something? And why, where is God in the suffering? And why, can, why does he allow this? And is he, is he just sitting idly by while people, while people go through all this mess? Okay, look, here is the simple answer, but in the course of the next few weeks, I hope to answer it better than this. But simply because it probably gets raised in your mind. Listen, folks, that's the reason he sent Jesus, to die on a cross, to rescue us from this messed up world. So that if we'll trust Him and put our faith and hope in Him, then we will be rescued eventually from this world and spend eternity with Him. Okay, God sees and God knows and God cares. And sometimes the things that happen in our lives are not your fault. It's not the punishment of God. It's just because we live in a fallen world. That said, the third and final thing we have to also make room for is, sometimes it can be our sinful choices. Proverbs 13, 15 says, The way of the transgressor is hard. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Hosea 8, 7 says, if you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Or we would say in common vernacular, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And so we have to take some responsibility for some suffering in our lives. When you willfully and deliberately break God's laws and violate Him and sin against Him, You open the door for more suffering and hardships in our lives. That's just the way it goes. And, folks, this is the way I look at this list, okay? Two out of the three I have no control over. You don't either. All right? Satan, if he, if again, this is not a pattern from the book of Job, but if Satan were to get my name and and permission from God, I have no control over that. Number two, I live in a fallen world. Bad things will happen to people overall, okay, just because we live in a fallen world. I have no control over that one. But I do have control over number three, and so do you. And it should motivate us to holy living. Because if I realize that two out of the three causes for suffering in my life may not even be my fault, and without my control, I can at least avoid extra suffering by walking in purity and holiness before God. So that I don't invite additional hardship in my own life just by virtue of the fact that I'm living in disobedience and rebellion to God. We need to be people of purity and holiness. And the good news is on number three is this, that if in fact you realize a a mess that you're in right now is the direct result of sinful choices, confess that as sin to God. Ask Him to forgive you. Get your life right with Him. Now, a warning, God will forgive us because He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to also understand that sometimes even after we are forgiven, there are ramifications. It's a ripple effect of sinful choices in our lives. And all the mess may not necessarily go immediately away. And there are still some consequences and fallout from the whirlwind because we've sown to the wind. That we have to recognize those might be enduring things that we have to deal with and put up with. But God in His grace will forgive us, and He is the God of new beginnings and second chances. Amen? So if number three is the reason for whatever mess you might be in, start at a place of prayer and ask God to forgive you. Because number one, with Satan, we must resist the devil and he will flee. Number two, in a fallen world, we cannot be molded or shaped in the image of this fallen world. We have to persevere and endure. But number three, we can confess our sins to God and we can watch the choices that we make so that we don't invite additional hardship into our lives. Amen?
1: And open ocean, jump in and
0: you'll find the your connection run your
1: new life. thanks for tuning in today to cornerstone connection if you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area we'd love to have you come join us for one of our weekend services our group of believers gather each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10 and 11 and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better, meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll learn more about our church and our vision for fulfilling God's calling in our lives. You'll additionally be able to access our archive of previous messages under the Teachings tab, and subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date with each new edition of Cornerstone Connection. Did you know you can also take the biblically sound messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go? Just download our mobile app to your smartphone to have Pastor Gary's teachings with you whenever life offers you a pause in the day. Find a link to download the app at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end. But there's much more to learn from the incredible faith of Job. We hope you'll join Pastor Gary again, right here on Cornerstone Connection.
0: They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, still you know. you're not alone.